as we get started this morning, I, just a couple uh, side things. First of all, last week, uh, for those of you that were here, we, uh, we didn't do what we usually do, which is gather to sing and, and study the Word. We, we gathered and then we went out into the neighborhood and we raked all of our neighbor's leaves. Um, so thank you for coming out to worship with us through service last week. Uh, by my calculations, we uh, served about 20 different houses in the course of an hour and a half. And uh, we got some feedback from uh, at least one neighbor who wrote on Facebook that he was thrilled to find out when he came home that his leaves were raked so that he could spend time with his children that afternoon. So I'm just super excited that we were able to, to serve our community that way. So thank you all again for those of you that came out and helped us. Secondly, I wanted to kind of mention um, the last month or so, um, I haven't been on this stage very much. And some of you have noticed that, and some of you have said very kind things about how you miss me either playing music or teaching, and I appreciate that. But one of the things that I want to make clear to everyone is one of the goals of our church is to be a body of people led by the Spirit of God who work together as a family. And I never want our community to be characterized by me because I am not worth it. <laughs> so if you see other people teaching, it's because they're gifted and the Holy Spirit has something to say through them and we want to love them and be obedient to God by submitting to the teaching of the Word through other uh, gifted teachers. If you see other people leading music, it's because they're gifted and we want to celebrate the Lord together through them. And it's my privilege to have a small part in that. So... Um, Thank you again for those of you that have, that have complimented um, me in those ways recently, but uh, I intend to continue to give stuff away as much as I possibly can. So, that being said, we are in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 870 in that Bible. And um, we're going to start with a little story. So Monday mornings, I get up early. I get up at 5 o'clock to make uh, it to men's cohort at 6 o'clock. Men, if you want to get together with some other guys and talk about theology and, and pray for one another, I'd love for you to join us on Monday mornings at 6. It's really early, and we all hate it, but it's super fruitful. Um, but I got up. I left the house. And shortly after I'd gotten my Americano and sat down with my friends to talk about uh, God, I got a text from my wife, which is odd at 6.10 in the morning, and she said, the little one is sick, she threw up all over the bed. And she meant my bed, <laughs> our bed. And so my wife, God bless her, had to deal with that all day long. But I came home that night because I'm a good husband, and I, I poured into my family, and I volunteered to take the bed that had been stripped and cleaned. And so I was, I was doing my best to make the bed. And I was, we have this white comforter, the best thing to vomit on. And, and we were put, I was putting it on, and there's this very faint yellow oval-ish shape. And I thought, oh, I know what that's about. 
But then I thought, maybe I should investigate further. And I, I got real close, and I, and oh, no, that's gross. We're going to talk about defilement this morning. My comforter was defiled on Monday. Jesus is going to talk about defilement. And before we get into our text, the assumption that Jesus is working on, and it's the assumption that that I think we all know deep down, is that people are defiled. Now, that's a very unpopular thing to say in the culture around us. Maybe we, maybe some of you push back against that. Uh, but the fact is something is broken in us. Something is damaged, scarred. The Bible calls it sin oftentimes. And the truth is recognizing this is a good thing. If you were here with us a couple weeks ago when Pastor Josh from Anthem Church was teaching through the previous section, he was talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees came, the religious leaders, the Pharisees came to Jesus' disciples and they said, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? It wasn't that their hands were dirty, that they'd been out working. It was a ritual washing that the religious leaders expected people to do. And the reason they did this is because they read the Old Testament and they read that that the priests, when they were ministering to God in the temple, they were supposed to wash their hands. And so the Pharisees thought, well, if the priests are supposed to wash their hands to approach God, maybe it'd just be a good idea if everybody did it. And so they set up this extra law about how everybody needs to wash their hands. That wasn't from Scripture directly, but it kind of flowed out of Scripture and, and it was kind of based on this idea that the religious people thought like, you know, people are broken, people are scarred, people are messed up, and we need to figure out how to be made right with God, so maybe we should just wash our hands just to be safe. came from a good motive, but it turned into this rigorous command that they were pushing people down with, and we talked about that last time. But the Pharisees recognized something that I think we all know deep down, that something is wrong with the world, and I'm a part of it. And so we, we try to find ways, practices, thought patterns in which we can make ourselves pure, make ourselves clean, get rid of the defilement that we sense around us. There's a word for this. Uh, It's called fundamentalism. Now, that's not originally what that word meant. A little bit of history. Back in the early 20th century, there was a group of Christians um, that were reading the Bible, and they they didn't like what they read. They found all these things that were miraculous and supernatural and, and frankly, kind of crazy. And they said, you know, we live in a modern world, and all of this stuff is nuts, and we'll just take all that out. And, and, and focus on the nice Jesus stuff. Be kind and be generous and be gracious. And they were called the modernists. But there was this other group of Christians that sprung up as well. And they said, no, 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 no. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are of all people the greatest to be pitied. We are a mess. We are following a dead man. And all of the supernatural stuff that happens in Scripture is true because we believe that the Bible is true. And they were called the fundamentalists because they were going back to the fundamentals of the faith and holding on tight to them. But after a while, the fundamentalists got scared. 
They weren't content to just live in Scripture. They had to add some extra layers to protect themselves. And if you're an older Christian, maybe you grew up in a church where you couldn't go roller skating. You couldn't watch movies. And, there, and that's not because the Bible says you couldn't do those things, but that's just because we want to protect everybody. And so we're going to add these extra rules, just like the Pharisees did, to protect people and, and make you feel good about yourself and scrub away that defilement that we feel around us. And this is what fundamentalism is, and we see it in the church. In a, in a previous generation, guys, none of you are wearing ties this morning, so obviously you don't love Jesus. I talked about roller skating, dancing, movies. But it doesn't just happen in the church. There's fundamentalism all around us. My Facebook feed is fundamentalism all day long. Do you, do you clothe your baby in pampers or do you cloth diaper? Because the way you answer that question might tell me whether you're a Christian or not. Do you go to public school or do you homeschool? Do you, you all have reusable shopping bags, right? I mean, we all love the planet here. You can paper and plastic, kill trees and fish and whatever else. So for some reason on my Facebook feed, people who like dogs and want to buy like new dogs should be condemned because used dogs, <laughs> shelter animals, that's the only way you can get a pet. If you don't do that, then shame on you. And none of these things are good or bad in and of themselves, but they become these markers of purity and holiness. Whether you're a religious person or not, they, they, they tell other people that I am a good person because I do these things and you are a bad person because you do not. And so Jesus is going to respond to this idea of fundamentalism in this text this morning. So let's look at verse 10. He says, summoning the crowds, he told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles person. And so the first thing we see is that defilement cannot be fixed by outward fundamentalism. The things that you do outside of you to make your life better are not going to fix the problem. And the interesting thing here is Jesus acknowledges the problem. He doesn't say, oh, the Pharisees are crazy. There's nothing wrong. He goes, no, there's something wrong. But the way the Pharisees want to fix it by this ritual hand washing doesn't work. He says, what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the person. And regardless of my opening illustration, he's not talking about fluids. He's talking about words. What comes out of your mouth are your words. And so the question for us is, what are the things that we are talking about? And maybe, maybe they're things that you talk to others about. Maybe they're things that you talk to yourself about. I talk to myself all the time. And if you say you don't, I'm calling you a liar. <laughs> you have a thought life. You have a voice inside that, that kind of ruminates all the time. What are those words? There's this interesting phrase that has come into our culture's vernacular in the last several years that I don't remember hearing a lot before 2016, and it's locker room talk. 
And it's this idea that there's these horrific things that men say, but they only say them when they're by themselves with other men. And somehow that makes it okay. And you could speak against women and de- demean them and, and mock them and, and, and harm people, but as long as you're we're just with the guys, it's okay. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Those words, they came out of your mouth, and that's the thing that's defiling you. Because the words that we speak have power. I believe that we are creatures created in the image of God. That's what the beginning of the Bible teaches. And because of that, we are like God in many ways. And one of the things that God can do is His words have power. Now, he has way more power than we do. He can create a universe with his words. But our words have power to heal. Our words have power to harm. We're going through the book of James in our community groups uh, during the week, and uh, we're not quite there in our reading schedule, but in James chapter 3, verse 5, James says, So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James doesn't pull any punches there, right? The words that we speak do damage. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's not, it's not what you eat. It's not the fact that you didn't wash your hands before so doing. It's what comes out of your mouth. And this is what defiles a person. So if it's not these outward things, these outward rules that people try to put on you, then, then how do we deal with? with fundamentalism? How do we deal with someone like the religious leaders that say, hey, this is this rule that you need to follow? Well, look at the next section of verses. Verse 12, Jesus, I'm sorry, Matthew writes, then the disciples came up and told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? The fact is, when you push back against someone's fundamentalism, they take offense. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever gone to Whole Foods in Seattle without a reusable bag? When I was in a, um, a, a previous position as an associate pastor, I was assigned Romans 14 to teach on a Sunday. And uh, Romans 14, Paul is, it has a very similar thing in mind. He's talking about um, food regulations and whether you should eat meat or not and, and how Christians need to live in harmony with one another even though we have different convictions about different things. And I wanted to bring it up to the modern day and so I told a story about music. I grew up, uh, some of you older millennials or Gen Xers might remember going to Christian bookstores and buying CDs. And in Christian bookstores there would always be a poster and on the poster it would say, if you like this band, then you should check out this other band. And so if you like Limp Biscuit, you should check out Pillar. If you like Coldplay, you should listen to Tree 63. 
And I made the point that we have, in, in, in the Christian subculture, we made this decision that regardless of the content, everything in this column, the world's music is bad. And it needs to be replaced with everything in this column, Christian music, which is good. And I made some jokes. <laughs> I might have mentioned that Coldplay was way better than 363. Most everyone laughed. But afterwards, two people came up to me separately, and both of them told me I was not a Christian. And it was the most confrontation I've ever had in church up until that point. And it was, for about three weeks, it dragged on. And one of, one of the guys said that if I was the pastor of this church, I would have drug you off the stage in the middle of that sermon. And it was really bad. I did not expect it. But I had pushed back against their particular fundamentalism, and they were offended. The Pharisees are offended by what Jesus says. But look how Jesus responds in verse 13. He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Leave them alone. See, there are going to be people that are not able to handle the fact that in your apprenticeship to Jesus, you are not bound by the rules that they have bound themselves by, and they're going to be offended. And our job is to love them, but ignore them. And I don't want to do that. I want to fight them. I want to show them that they're wrong. But, but that just shows that the brokenness in them that they're trying to fix by their fundamentalism is the same brokenness that is in me, that I am trying to fix by my freedom. So Jesus says, hey, just, just leave the Pharisees alone. Don't worry about it. So before we move on to the last section here, I want to talk a little bit more practically about this idea of fundamentalism because it's a, there's a lot of questions that roll around in my mind when I talk about this sort of thing. And, and the question is like, so, so if these outward practices aren't things that are mandated by Scripture, how do we know how to live? How do we know what to do? How do we know what things we should or should not participate in? And, and the first thing I would say is Scripture does have mandates. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are saying, I'm submitting myself to the words of this book, and if you're asking yourself, should I, should I be generous? Yes. Should I be kind? Yes. Should I give up my privilege and my power for the benefit of others? Yes. Should I lean into a radically different sexual ethic than the world around me? Yes. There's no options there. Scripture is clear on so many things about how Jesus calls us to live. But then there's other things, like should I homeschool my kids? Should I watch some R-rated movies? Should I drink alcohol in moderation? Should I smoke cigars? Should I vaccinate my children? Should I buy pampers, paper, plastic? I don't know. These things have to be discerned. These things have to be figured out. And the way they're figured out is by reading the Word, developing a relationship with Christ, listening to the Holy Spirit, and living in community with God's people. 
Being discerning about things, though, doesn't just mean follow your heart. That's terrible advice, typically. Oftentimes, what you think you want to do is the exact wrong thing to do. And this leads us to the next section of this passage where Peter says in verse 15, explain this parable to us. Peter's talking about the, uh, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. And Peter's like, I don't understand. And I don't blame him because that doesn't make sense to me either. It seems like if, if I have an outward list of things that I accomplish, that should be meritorious in some reason, in some way, right? If, if, I'm, if I'm doing good, if I'm staying away from these things, if I'm doing these things, shouldn't that mean something? It did in Peter's world. He'd been taught that this outward ritualistic life was the thing that was going to make him right with God. And Peter's like, I don't get it, Jesus. And Jesus replies in verse 16, do you still lack understanding, he asked. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? And I'm super bummed here. Like every Bible translation that I looked at screws up this verse. The Greek says, don't you realize that whatever goes into your mouth and passes into your stomach and goes out into the toilet? And everyone is afraid to write toilet in that verse. I don't know why. My seven-year-old was in here. She'd laugh at that. She'd think that was pretty awesome. But Jesus said toilet. But then he says, well, before we move on to what he says, we just think that the outside is this thing that is going to infect us. And we need to protect ourselves from that thing on the outside that might get in. But Jesus says something different. Look at verse 17, or sorry, 18. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. Jesus says, what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. When we think of the word heart in our context, we think of the emotions. I love you with all my heart. I'm heartbroken. That's not what first century um, Middle Eastern men and women would have thought. They would have thought, the heart was the place where your will, where your thoughts lived, the deepest part of who you are. And so Jesus says, this is where the defilement comes from. It comes from your heart. And we don't want this to be true. We have an argument with our spouse and we say something terrible and we go, you know, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you did. What, what's in there comes out. I have a friend who, I, I tend to be kind of sarcastic by nature, and, and I have this friend who early on in our relationship, I would uh, say something awful to her, and I'd say, I'm just joking. And she'd say, no, it wouldn't be funny if you didn't think it was at least partly true. And it's true, isn't it? Like, we watched, the last comedy special you watched on Netflix was a guy standing up and talking about real life for an hour, and it was hilarious because it was true. What lives in the heart comes out of our mouth. 
And Jesus goes on in verse 19, he says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, theft, false testimonies, and slander. All of these terrible things that befall human beings come from, Jesus says, human beings. And we talk around here quite often about the three different areas of evil that we live with in the world. The Bible calls them the world, the flesh, and the devil. And and we can agree that there are world systems out there that oppress people. There are governments that behave in ungodly ways. There are um, just built-in problems with the world that harm people. We can also, I hope, agree that there are demonic powers, God's spiritual enemies that want people harmed, that want to keep Jesus' people from living fulfilled lives, and they want to keep people from understanding that they can have life in Christ. But if human beings didn't participate with the world systems, it wouldn't be a problem. If human beings didn't listen to the voice of the spiritual powers, it wouldn't be a problem. No matter how we slice it, human beings are responsible for how messed up it is in the world, and no amount of reusable shopping bags, cloth diapers, or homeschooling is going to fix that. So Jesus has this whole list of social sins that come out of our hearts. And I feel like this is a good place to talk about a doctrine called total depravity. And if you're, if you're kind of a theology geek, you know what that is. If, if not, that's okay. You're probably uh, interested in more useful things. Um, <laughs> but total depravity is a doctrine that comes from Scripture. And it says that not everything about humanity is broken, but every part of human existence has brokenness in it. And what's important to remember, I think, is that this is not an idea that comes from the very beginning of the Bible. The very beginning of the Bible, if you read the first two chapters of Genesis, human beings are created good. They're created as image bearers of God, as sons and daughters of the king, rulers of this world called to live and love and subdue the earth and be fruitful and multiply and live in this Edenic state under the rulership of Yahweh. But by chapter 3, it all falls apart. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they break God's command. They don't trust Him for wisdom, and they seek it out on their own. And because of them, we inherit a world that is marred by sin. And Jesus says it goes all the way down into our hearts. The way to think of this is is if I have a pure, clean, clear glass of water in my hand and I take an eyedropper and I put in a single drop of poison, does every molecule of that water become poison? No. It's all actually really good water still. But if I take a drink from that cup, am I going to die? Yes because there's no way to get the poison out of the water. And this is the situation that Jesus reminds us that we are in. We are 
good people that do good things and, and serve the poor and build hospitals and create beautiful art and amazing technology. And yet every single aspect of everything that we do is a little bit twisted, is a little bit broken, is a little bit marred because sin infects everything. So then look at verse 20. Jesus has just laid on us some pretty heavy realities. And he says, these are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Jesus diagnoses the problem. And if you, if you read ahead, the next verse says, when Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus doesn't fix the problem. He doesn't solve the problem. He doesn't provide an answer to the problem. He just says, everything is screwed up, you guys. And then he leaves. And I think it's because Jesus wants us to sit in that for a little bit, to recognize that for a little bit, to not push that aside too quickly. It's a heavy thing. It's a hard thing. It's something we don't want to spend our time doing. I don't like, you know, it's Saturday today. I'm going to think about total depravity. Like, that's not a fun thing. But Jesus isn't quick to provide the solution. I... I opened today with a, an illustration about vomit, so I figured I'd close with one too. A couple years ago, I was um, home alone. My family, my wife and my two daughters, went to California to visit some family, and uh, I stayed home. We were remodeling a house, and so I was busy, and, uh, and that week I got sick. I feel like I probably had food poisoning or something. I don't know. But I knew I was sick at like 1 o'clock in the morning when I woke up in a cold sweat and just threw up all over my bed. I think I had a fever. I was a little dazed, confused. It was early in the morning. And so then I just fell back asleep. And then I woke up again about an hour later, and I did the exact same thing. So that morning, when I had finally come to my senses, it was, it was kind of a train wreck in my bedroom. And uh, I was trying to sort things out. Well, my wife and I, we had, a, we had a Tempur-Pedic mattress. And if you don't know what that is, it is a 500-pound sponge. And because I did not have the uh, awareness to deal with my defilement immediately, uh, it, it, it soaked up into the mattress pretty good. And I was looking online, like, how do you clean a memory foam mattress? And a couple days, I just wrestled with this. Because if you, if you know anything about Tempur-Pedic mattresses, they're really expensive. Like, it was an investment for our family to get this mattress. And... Uh, I realized like there was no like solution I could spray on the top that would fix it. 
There was no, like, laundromat in the world that could handle this thing. And so I finally just said, I, I have to throw this away. I have to put this in the back of my pickup truck and take it to the dump and go buy a new mattress before my wife comes home. <laughs> I couldn't clean the defilement. I couldn't fix it. I just had to get rid of it and replace it. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. If you have the Pew Bible, it's on page 741. So Ezekiel is a prophet of God living uh, several hundred years before Jesus is born. And his people are in exile. They have been disobedient. They have uh, abandoned the love of their God, and they have gone after false gods and enveloped themselves in all kinds of wickedness because of their wicked hearts. And Ezekiel, through God's Spirit, sees a time in the future when God is going to make things right. And in Ezekiel 11, verse 18... Ezekiel says, when they arrive there at this, this kingdom that I'm going to prepare for them, when they arrive there, they will, be remo- they will remove all of its abhorrent acts and detestable practices from it. I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them, and they will be my people and I will be their God. So Ezekiel sees into the future of his people, and he lays out a little of the plan, because he sees that the heart that we have is wicked and broken by sin. It is defiled, and there is no way to clean it. It needs to be replaced. And while he doesn't bring it up in our passage this morning, this is the plan that Jesus is working out. Jesus is going to teach and preach and and lead these people, but he's ultimately going to be rejected by them. And he's going to be murdered by them as a criminal. Having done nothing wrong, he's going to be executed on a Roman cross. But because Jesus is both this perfect human being who lives his life exactly as we were supposed to live it, and he is God in human flesh, his death on the cross takes care of our sin. It cleanses us from our sin. It pays for our sin. And then three days into this horrific death with all of his followers who thought he was the king who had come to rescue them in dismay because he's dead, he rises from the dead. He's alive again. He defeats death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that death is our great enemy. We all know this. We don't think about it, but it's out there. And Jesus cannot be held by it. He rises from the dead. And he says, anyone that follows me, anyone that trusts in me, you get my life in you. 
I will take your heart of stone out and replace it with a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit, my life into you and give you what you could not get on your own. And this is the good news about Jesus, right? That he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He is those things. But he's a savior. He's a redeemer. And he's the king of the universe who has come to spread his kingdom on the earth. And all of us that are willing to say, Jesus, I am yours, We're willing to say, the things that I'm doing to make it right for me aren't working. Who are willing to, the Bible uses the word repent, which means to turn around and follow someone else, to turn from whatever we've got going on that is obviously not working and turn to Christ and say, whatever you want me to be about, I want to be about that. We get new life. We get new hearts. And what's true about us becomes the Spirit of God inside of us, motivating our lives. And so, if you are a Christian this morning, if you would say, yes, I am a follower of Christ, I have given my life over to allegiance to Jesus, you have been given a new heart These things that Jesus says about your heart are not ultimately true about you anymore. Now, we we struggle with sin until we get glorified. Jesus says we get new bodies. Everything uh, about us that is broken is going away, but it hasn't quite yet, and we fight it. So it's there, and we wrestle, and we, and we heed Scripture and go, yeah, I need to listen to the Spirit of God and, and deny the sinful impulses that still are fighting in me. But ultimately, your greatest desires, your deepest desires are the desires that God gave men and women in Genesis chapter 1. And if you're not a Christian this morning, and you've got a whole list of things that you do to make yourself feel better about the life that you're living... Maybe there's nothing wrong with those things, but I would guess that if we sat down for a cup of coffee for a couple hours, you'd go, yeah, they're not really working. I mean, I bought a dog from the pound and it's great, but it really hasn't done what I thought it was going to do for me. But the offer from Jesus is, I can get rid of that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I can give you my spirit, my life, the perfect life of Christ can be given to anyone that wants it. And it starts with a decision. It starts with saying, you know, Jesus, I, I want that. I'm tired of trying to figure it out on my own. And I want to be saved. I want to turn and I want to follow you. And you can do that this morning. And if you choose to do that this morning, you should tell somebody. 
You come tell me afterwards. Because what happens when you follow Jesus is you become part of a family. You become part of a community of God's people. You become part of an outpost of the kingdom of God that is pushing back the darkness of the world. And Jesus doesn't call us to do that thing alone. He calls us to do it together. So as we close this morning, we're going to take communion like we do every week. And if you're new with us, the communion meal is a symbol that Jesus institutes the night that he is arrested to be crucified. And he says, eat this bread because it represents my body. It's going to be broken for you. And drink this cup because it represents the blood that I'm going to spill for you. And he calls it the blood of the new covenant. A covenant is an agreement that a party agrees to unconditionally. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is, is a man and a woman saying, we're in this together for life, and it's not meant to be broken. And Jesus makes a covenant in his blood with his people and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will bring you to the end of this. And this is what we celebrate every Sunday at Communion. So when the band comes back up and we, and we sing some more because we are called to, we're commanded to sing and remind one another of the truth of the gospel through song. As that happens, feel free to come forward, take a piece of bread, take a cup. We have wine and juice, which you can choose based on your own conscience. And celebrate the fact that the life of Christ is alive in you. And if you're here and you're like, the life of Christ is not alive in me. Well, he wants to come in as soon as you ask him. And then you can take communion too. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your gospel, the good news about Jesus. It's not a list of things that we do. It's not rules that we keep. It's what you have done. You have taken the place that we should have had on the cross. You've paid the penalty for our sin, and you have given us the opportunity to have new hearts. And God, I pray for all of us who who are thinking about the things that we go to to feel good about ourselves. God, even... Even when we know that our life is found in you, we often forget and we pursue other things, maybe good things, but we make them ultimate things. God, I pray pray that you would show us where our mouths are defiled, that you would heal us and cleanse us from that, that the power of your spirit inside us would be stronger than the old heart that you have killed. And God, I pray for anyone in this room that that doesn't know you, that is tired of trying to figure out how to make things go their way, is tired of virtue signaling how socially responsible they are because it doesn't seem to make them happy. 
God, I just pray that the next few moments as we remember your sacrifice on the cross for us, the, the penalty that you paid for our sin and the life that we have in you as we take the bread and the cup into us as nourishment, symbolizing your spirit alive in us, that we would rejoice, that we would raise our voices in song, that we would lift our hands, that we would celebrate the goodness of our King. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.